turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. One of the things I like to do is talk stocks. Thus, the show, Stock Talk. Um, ain't no party better than an all-time high party. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that thought, but that's my idea. Ain't no party better than an ATH all-time high party. It's uh, nice, to be quite honest with you. And uh, I think it's... We could always try to learn something, Right? I, I hope that's what we're trying to do. There's all-time highs everywhere we're looking at this point in time. And I think it's a, a powerful statement. So, um, whether it's Dow Jones, the S&P 500, whether it's tech stocks, um, the QQQ, if you take a look at it, just had a marvelous, marvelous run. And it's kind of interesting because 1999 to 2002, you can see how ugly it can get. And uh, the QQQ's rocking and rolling again. So, ain't no party like an all-time high party. So, be cautious. It's, uh, markets do pull back. So, pulling up a chart from 1975 to 2017, there's one, two massive pullbacks. And that's it. So we're due for another massive pullback at some point in time. There was obviously 2000 to 2002 and 2008 uh, to 2009 or 2007 to 2009. It's probably the better way of looking at it. Now, let's talk tech stocks because I think they're a big part of our rally. As Google, Facebook have emerged, tech has groped back the gains from 2000. Tech in 1998... Uh, basically the late 90s, to be honest and fair with you, had an amazing run. And then it got to the point where it was just everything was overvalued. And we looked around and we said, whoa, 
Uh, we also saw companies like Webvan come public who were never going to make money. It was in the business of delivering groceries, which it's not the best business, which is something that is very curious about Amazon picking up Whole Foods. Now, they did it after Whole Foods had a 30% correction from their all-time high. Uh, so they, they bought it, not at discount, but they didn't buy it at an all-time high. There's not a lot of profit margins in groceries. So now for 17 years, some new titans have emerged from the good old days. Uh, Alphabet, which is Google. Uh, they weren't public at the time of March 27th, 2000, when the S&P 500 tech sector hit its lifetime high of 9.93. So some components still haven't hit new highs since then. Microsoft set a new intraday high uh, just this week. S&P index guru Howard Silverblatt, he tweeted the following to let us know the sector on the is closing in on an all-time closing price high as well. So it took a lot of years for the tech sector of the S&P 500 to get back to where it is, um, just as a pure play. Now, you get names like Amazon, and they'll carry the weight quite far. Uh, Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, Netflix, Apple, Microsoft, Salesforce, they've kind of been the stars so Amazon showed that it was quite serious about the grocery delivery business when it picked up Whole Foods. And Blue Apron subsequently cut its IPO price range to $10 to $11 uh, from 18, $15 to $17. And since then, the stock has been spiraling down. Now, Blue Apron isn't the only IPO flop of 2017. Snap, the year's biggest IPO, is about 40% off from its March debut. Um... So there's there's some there's some issues now that kind of feel similar to 2000, where you had an incredible march. This time it's Netflix, it's Google, it's Amazon. Back in the late 90s, it was uh, AOL. AOL, I know, right? I know you said really, yeah. Uh, Yahoo, Excite. It was a different bunch of leaders, but they also had that quite nauseating feeling to them of a lot of IPOs coming public. Like I said, Webvan, um, Pets.com. You had Super Bowl commercials where the monkey was riding a rocket to the top of the stock market, uh, which was basically code for any monkey can day trade. Why aren't you day trading? And it's... Whoa. You know, right? It's kind of a whoa moment. So... 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Um, some good articles out there. I always like reading the Wall Street Journal. I think that's a great place to start. Um, I think if you're looking for ideas, I think briefing.com does a really, really nice job. So uh, that's a good start. Pundits right now are saying that the stock market's a little long in the twos. And when we talk stocks, you know, we have, we've got to say, you know, high as a kite, records all, all around. The Dow, the NASDAQ, S&P 500, they hit new highs. Uh, Mid-cap stocks, the Russell 2000, which is um, small-cap stocks. They are both trading at all-time highs recently as well. So it's not just the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow. It's the small-caps. It's the mid-caps. So... Um, a lot of people in my business, you know, look at new highs as 
an opportunity to, to take some profit. Some people look at what's happened with the Russell 2000 as a breakout technically, that small cap stocks are you know breaking out and they should have another six months of, of potential run because of that technical breakout. Um, if you take all this together, you have a very high percentage of people who are bullish ultimately for the next six months um, because of all these all-time highs. The biggest comes ultimately out there of the biggest risk factors probably tied towards Washington right now and sentiment. Um, I saw that Theresa May is very, very unpopular in the UK and Donald Trump is very, very unpopular in the polls in the United States. People are nervous that Congress will not even get around to tackling tax reform. So there's some things that we should start seeing or saying what could hurt stocks. I think you always want to have five reasons to buy a stock. I think you always want five reasons to sell a stock. And a lot of times the seller the same exact reasons you bought, but on the negative. So, for instance, if you're seeing a sales increase, you like that. That's a good one. If you see a sales decrease, that's a bad one. You could look at it quarter over quarter. You could look at it year over year. You could look at earnings. You can look at new product. You can look at management. Has that management, do they have a track record of success or failure? Um, I think that's a big question. So I think that's a real big question. Uh, so people are nervous right now, and uh, that's one of the ones that we could throw out there. Can the market go higher with, with people being nervous? Absolutely. But when you start getting one or two things that don't line up on the positive side, it'll be a, a time to ask the question, how do we really feel about you know a group of six stocks basically high-flying us higher? Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, and Apple. Um, that sector had a pretty good pullback in June, um, maybe saying that their reign was over. Maybe we switched reigns to the financial stocks. It's a little too early to tell. I'm always online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Were you the one? Let's just forget. Leave it behind and carry on. Let's just forget. Leave it behind and carry on. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, We can talk about trains. So... I'm always fascinated by the different sectors of the S&P 500. Of course, you know that there's sectors like retail, and that comes in various forms. You know, the uh, like retail like hard goods, uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, but there's also retail like soft goods like apparel. There's restaurants. There's different forms of of investing, right? And uh, it, it's interesting to me because 
I get asked a lot of questions, and I try to have a good, honest opinion for people. It's one of the things I pride myself is being honest and giving a good second opinion. CSX is a train company, and that falls in the transports, planes, trains, and automobiles, essentially. So there's tech stocks in the S&P sectors. There's banking stocks or financials, and there's, you know, in financials, there's banks, there's brokers, there's insurers. It breaks down pretty Obviously, when you start looking at some of this, utility stocks, telecom stocks. Uh, I see someone's trying to rename telecom stocks into digital distribution or uh, digital media. And you're like, well, that's a bit odd. So one of the stocks I want to talk about is a company called CSX Corp. It's a train company. Choo-choo. Um, I bring it up in part because there's not that many train companies, right? Can you name 10? Probably not. You start running out in your head pretty fast, in my opinion. Um, So CSX is the ticker symbol. It's amongst the market's biggest losers uh, recently after the train operator reported what looked to be better than expected earnings. But Wall Street didn't like it. So it's kind of funny that Sometimes it's not what you just did. What have you done for me lately? That's not how Wall Street works. It's the church of what's working now and what will you do for me in the future. So Barclays, an analyst at Barclays, uh, wrote, you know, he talked about CSX earnings, uh, why their beat was really a mess. And it, st- it, it, it flummoxes you. I mean, you really start to scratch your head and go, whoa. Um... I don't know if you're with me or against me on this one, but uh, isn't an earnings beat an earnings beat? Sometimes it's not, and that's something you have to be aware of. It's hard to say. It's hard to deny that CSX second quarter results came in below elevated expectations after adjusting for favorable items. Earnings per share were $0.64, above expectations of $0.59. The accounting for $58 million in liquidated damages uh, added four pennies. A $55 million property judgment added four pennies to their earnings. A $10 million of impairments subtracted a penny. Um, so they think that the when you add all that up, those one-time issues, um, that a lot of reclassifications um, of how their assets are, are labeled is what had them hit their earnings and beat their earnings. Margin expansion is evident, and the analyst expects momentum and cost reduction as the company progresses towards a precision railroad model, driving significant long-term value from current levels. Uh, management reiterated guidance for a mid-60s operating ratio and around 25% earnings per share growth in 2017. That's pretty impressive. So CSX has outperformed the market by about 13% since the beginning of the second quarter, suggesting elevated near-term expectations. Now, when it comes to train companies, I think it pays to really look into um, the different players. Because in the world of transports, there's planes, trains, and automobiles. But there's also trucks. And you could look at the LH, long-haul trucks, and you could start going, oh, I kind of get it. So CSX operates a major rail system. It's got 21,000 route miles of the eastern United States. It's got a freight carrier link in 23 states, 70 ports, 240 shoreline railroads, and two Canadian provinces. 
Uh, freight hauled by the company includes a wide variety of merchandise. So if a company is hauling coal and a president comes out and says, we don't like coal, it could hurt a, a train company. So you really got to know what the company is tra- transporting. For instance, Kansas City Southern does a lot of work from Mexico to the United States. And if we get a situation where the president says, you know, we're going to tax cars coming from Mexico, being built in Mexico and sold here, then a company like a train company might have to change their business model because the car companies may say, okay, well, we don't want to pay that tax, so we'll just build cars here. And then suddenly everything gets a little bit disrupted. So what does CXS, CSX ship? Well, they ship food, chemicals, and consumer goods coal, and automotive products. So I think the number one thing you have to look at is how much coal do they ship and how, how have those numbers been impacted recently. CSX also transports by intermodal containers and tran- trailers. Um, I, you know, multiple modes of transportation is ultimately what you're talking about with intermodal freight hauling. Uh, the rail segment includes units that operate motor vehicle distribution centers and bulk cargo terminals. So, big company, right? So... Uh, ticker symbol on CSX is, oddly enough, CSX. And again, it's a railroad company. And uh, I don't think, like I said, uh, they kind of have a monopoly. I don't want to use monopoly and railroads together from the, the board game. But there's not a lot of players. And they kind of do different types of business models. I like the trains um, if the price is right. So at this point in time... You're taking a look at a company that has a 1.4% dividend. So you'd want to compare it with other train companies. Take a look at their price to sales. Take a look at their price to earnings. Take a look at their margins. And sometimes when it comes to stock picking, it's not really so much about being right. It's about learning to compare. You don't compare CSX PE to the PE of Netflix. Two different business models, right? That's like comparing a you know a college athlete to a, a fourth grade athlete. Um, two very different physical structures, right? So eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. You don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Uh, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening. You can find me always at Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. Um, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. I want to rest in your life. Join the conversation. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Doing nothing sounds like a terrible investing advice, but sometimes when it comes to stocks and investing, that's the best advice. If you think back to 2016 and you had the whole election situation going, uh, you had Donald Trump win the election, that victory shocked investors. The next day, a lot of people panicked. People rushed to the doors. And uh, you saw international markets basically belly, belly flop or dive. I don't know what the right word is, right? But after a little bit of rest, Wall Street rallied and even managed to finish in the black the day after the election. Anyone who sold off on the election results came in likely, as they came in, likely lost money. People were angry. They were scared. They were calling up their advisors. They wanted to move everything to cash. The best advice was to stay put. And we've had a great market run since then. Now, I'm not saying stay put forever and ever. I'm saying stay put, get calm, get collected. The market's roller coaster ride that day is instructive of how investors should work in the markets at all time in tumult. Um, 9-11 was a bad day in the U.S. history. And the following weeks were tough for investors. I remember doing a live radio show that night on, I guess it was, it was 9-12, 9-13, somewhere around there, right? Someone called up and said, you know, uh, I'm afraid, you know, to go to the mall. I'm like, you can't be afraid to go to the mall. you got to go out and spend money in this economy. That's one of the best things you could do. It's like if there's terrorism in Paris, the best thing you could do is go to Paris and, sh- you know, spend some money. Um, but the wrong thing to do is overreact and go, I'm never going to Paris. The wrong thing to do is say, I want out of the market just because. The markets have seen a lot of things. The markets, Donald Trump. Okay, so that's a scary one. Puffy white guy with a comb over. But the markets have also seen World War One, World War Two. They've seen the Iraq War. They've seen Vietnam. They've seen Korea. They've seen Nagasaki. They've seen Hiroshima. They've seen high oil. They've seen low oil. They've seen high inflation. They've seen deflation. They've seen a banking crisis or two with the saving and loan thrift problems in the 1990s. We had gasoline rationing in the 1970s. We had mortgage rates at 15% in the 70s. So the markets have seen everything, in my opinion. So why do you think, because a puffy white president who has a comb over, gets into office, that it's time to sell? A lot of people want it to. So the roller coaster that is Wall Street at times, if you take a look at it, it it feels kind of like a medical chart, you know, where you're, like it's St. Elsewhere. Was that called St. Elsewhere? That's odd. Yeah, that was, TV show was called St. Elsewhere. For some reason, saying that out loud, it just doesn't sound right. Um, But if you go into a hospital room and you see like the medical, like ding, 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 it's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, right? But when you take a couple steps back from Wall Street, 
a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years, you start to see that it slowly moves higher. There's some years where it gets way ahead of itself. The late 1990s is a great example where the charts, when you step back, they don't look like a teeter-totter going up at you know a 30 to 40 degree angle. It looks like the Empire State Building where it's going straight up at 180 degrees or 90 degrees. I uh, haven't been in geometry for a while, so <laughs> forgive me, okay? Um, so you should really feel pretty good about that. So who knows what's going to happen in the future with the Trump administration, but one thing's pretty for sure. Your portfolio likely has a longer time horizon than his reign in office. Although I think it kind of would be cool if he deems himself king and says he's going to be in power forever, like somehow Putin's pulled off. So there's a swoon. There's no doubt about it. But we're looking at, you know, not including dividends, the S&P 500 up about 12%. Um, and again, sometimes it gives it some of it back, and it's, it is what it is. I know sometimes your gut is to sell. Uh, that's probably because you don't have your allocation set correctly. You're not diversified properly. If a sudden and steep drop in stock prices freaks you out, if it makes you alarmed, you probably have too much in too many risky areas in the stock market. So at any point in time, if Netflix were to pull back 30%, it would be a pause. It would be a refresher. Same thing with Amazon. Same thing with Apple. It's kind of nice when that happens. But we don't see it happen often. But it could happen. I've got a friend who bought Amazon right at 1000 And the next thing you know, like three days later, it's at 950 And he stuck with it. But I was like, oh, don't you kind of wish you had a little more money? So, and, uh, I like averaging in when markets are down. That's a concept of stock investing that I, I think more people should try to grasp is scaling in and scaling out. Scaling in means if there's a stock that you really want, let's say it's real, uh, let's say it's uh, Amazon or Google, instead of taking your whole 5% position, which isn't a bad number as far as positions go, that gives you 20 positions, I'd prefer you start with index funds and ETFs that are widely diversified. And then over time, you know, add a stock or two to your portfolio. And then over more time, add another stock or two as you feel more comfortable with it. And you understand the volatility is not going to freak you out. Um, but if you're freaked out um, by sudden drops, I think scaling in makes perfect sense. So you say, I've got 5%, so let's just round it up to 6%. I've got 6% of my money I'm going to put into Amazon. So you buy a third of it, 2% today, another 2% in six weeks, three months, whatever number you want to throw out there, and another 2% in two to six months, whatever you're comfortable with. So you're scaling in. If it moves up, you've done great. You're already a winner. If it moves down, you're averaging into a company that you still wanted a year ago, do you still want it today. So index investing or buying a broad basket of stocks, hold it for a long period of time, works. Because in the United States, when you're investing in stocks, you're really investing in capitalism, in my opinion. Index funds carry low fees for a diversified portfolio. And you don't have to go out and like hit a home run. You're basically buying capitalism. So you're buying the S&P 500 index fund. You're basically buying 
500 largest companies in the United States. Now, it's kind of skewed toward the top 10 of those 500. It's a market-weighted index, which basically means the bigger the company, the more sway it has. But I like index funds because of the low fees and diversity. Index funds avoid the trap that investors of individual stocks fall into of when you have to get two things right, the buy and the sell. Um, so you have to time those decisions quite well with individual stocks. But if you're buying an index, you're going to hold it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, it's one of the reasons 401ks do so well in the United States is people you know, put their money with index funds. Um, so it is what it is, right? The first thing on the to-do list, in my opinion, when it comes to investing is stop checking your investments frequently. Um, I would look at your portfolio two to three to four times a year most, um, starting January. Um, I like having things that I do. For instance, I check up on all my insurance at least once a year, my car insurance, my uh, homeowner's insurance, my renter's policy, because I... Um, not my renter's policy, but I have a rental property, so I have homeowners on that as well. Um, so I check up all that. Guess what day? Typically my birthday. Um, it's just my little financial checkup, so to speak. So one of the reasons you don't want to check your portfolio every day is if you can put it on your mind a little bit, you could enjoy life. And you could think, I really am in this for the long term. And my time horizon is long-term when I need the money in retirement. So why am I checking it today? If I'm diversified, I feel good. Um, a lot of people who are nervous with the stock market should own some short-term government bonds. For an overall investment, you know, maybe if you're 50 years old, maybe you want somewhere between 20 and 40% in bonds. So it cuts down on the volatility. So your million dollars in a market correction... Uh, it, if the market goes on 20%, maybe you're still at 900000 because a lot of your money's in bonds. So you're not that spooked by that. I personally own no bonds. Um, I think the interest rates that you're getting on them is too low. Um, I understand the reason for owning bonds, though. So I don't mind if the market were to correct 50%, I'll be okay. So some sectors or some ideas that I like very much so, like I said, is the S&P 500. Um, with it, you get a large-cap company. Uh, you get large-cap companies, which give you some international exposure. But also, I do want you to consider a large-cap fund, a mid-cap fund, a small-cap fund, some sort of international fund, and sort some sort of income fund, which people typically slot in as bonds. In this case, I'll say publicly traded REITs. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Walking by the roadside, see my feet through the morning. I'm checking out the back end with my race. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Ladies and gentlemen, we've begun the initial descent. And now it's time to pull up on the wheel. Visit 
Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. I always try to have your best interest. Try to have your best interest. I think I do as good of a job as I can to show you that. Um, one of the areas that I'm really a big fan of is, is getting younger people to invest, uh, so-called millennials, um, you know, Generation X, the generation that I belong to, and it's a little late for people like me. If you haven't started saving, you're probably going to work till the day you die if you're a Generation Xer. I see that I'm at my TV station that I work at right now, and one of the employees just laughed. Um... And she, everyone writes their, their farewell on, you know, bulk email and sends it out to everyone. So, and she was like, oh, yeah, I started back in 2007 and did a lot of shows. And we were trying to figure out how to get rid of infomercials and did Blue Angels and Holiday Lights and Beta Breakers and New Year's Live. Um, and she said, you know, please don't come up to me with a sad face because I'll start crying. And uh, I live online. Here's my email. And it, it was all nice. And I worked with her. And I, I feel bad for her because she is one of those millennials that didn't save a penny. And now she's getting to the age where she's a little bit old without a penny saved. So she's probably 35, 36 now. And she's probably going to work till the day she dies. And that's fine for some. But it's, it's not appropriate. It's, again, I know in the, you know, in the Obama years, what, did, what is the stat? That the top 20% saw income grow, but the other 80% of America didn't. And you could probably go back 20 years with that stat, and it's pretty accurate. But I look at her farewell as, uh-oh. Um, because now she's going to have to live off, you know, savings um, until she finds another job. In the Bay Area, that's not terribly doable. When I first met her, she lived in San Francisco. Now she lives in a ratty apartment in Oakland. Um, much cheaper rent. But again, it's renting. It's not even buying, you know. So I feel bad. But Leg Mason recently did a survey, and they talked about millennials and investing. Millennials, also known as Generation Y, they're people born between 1980 and 1997. They've got decades-long time horizons ahead of them. So if they're 30 years old, for instance, they got their 40s, their 50s, and their 60s. Um, the average 25-year-old will probably work 45 years. Um, the anticipated norm for them is working till about age 70. Now, it's interesting when you look at the young people because there, there's a lot of thoughts that, like, with tender, casual sex is kind of like kind of risky behavior. But the millennials are considered kind of riskier behavior people, except for when it comes to investing. When you're young, you think you're going to live forever, so you take a couple more risks, you know? Um, I would, I would imagine the statistic on people who jump out of airplanes, uh, probably skews between 18 and 30 heavily, right? Because once you have kids and you settle down, you're like, I don't know if I need to be jumping out of an airplane. Uh, working in television at Cron, I can tell you that I think we do at least four to five stories a year of parachutes not opening up locally. And I'm always surprised by people taking that kind of risk. Um... So when in, with investing, you have to kind of throw yourself into its capitalism. And I could look at charts. 
there's a beautiful Dow Jones Industrial Average chart that goes back to the 1920s and on my wall, and it just goes up. And over time, you kind of you see like, oh, there was a bad year there, and it's tough to find because, like I said, you know, it's a big chart. It's got a lot of years. So, employee benefit research survey reported that two thirds of Americans believe they can comfortably retire with one million or less. The other third said they can manage with less than five hundred thousand. Yet, for most millennials, less than a million is unlikely to be enough to live well. Um, conservative estimates project that you'll run between two and a half to three percent a year on inflation. So, a million dollars loses its buying power over time. Um, and, you know, a good example of inflation is education inflation. I remember going to college, and it was probably about $1,000 a quarter. Um, and now, good luck with that. You know, that's 12000 a quarter minimum. Some places, 20000 Healthcare inflation has run, you know, 2.6% to 5.2% over the last 10 years. Education has gone from between 6 and 9% each year over the last 20 years. And then millennials are also going to live longer. So the idea of living on 500000 isn't great. Let's say you have Social Security that's going to equal about 24000 And you have to work till age 70 to get it. Uh, after taxes and after paying your health care, well, after taxes, you're looking at about 18000 right? And then with sales taxes, if you live in a state like California that has a 10% sales tax, then that's not even the same. So you have to have a budget for sure, but a million dollars is not a lot of money. 500000 is very little money. 78% of millennials say they plan to take on more risk. That's probably driven by strong returns in equity markets of the last nine years. There's something called FOMO, fear of missing out. If you rush to invest in growth, in particular high-risk assets and market highs, the risk of buying high and selling low uh, is real. The U.S. equity markets have had a great bull run, but they can't keep going out forever and ever at all-time highs. So there's going to be an inevitable reversal, and we should you know, strongly point out aggressively that when the markets go down, that's not a time to panic. If you take a look at five-year holding periods for the S&P 500 from 1931 to 2015, there's there's no five-year period where the market went down uh, consistently. Now, 2000, 2002 was brutal. So if you were only investing in those times, you probably did very poorly. But then again, with the recovery in 2003, 4, 5, and 6, you probably did really, really well if you invested in the down times. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.